Jocelyn, your Survivor Podcast host. The first time you hear the word cancer, you're automatically speechless. You see or hear your doctor talking, but you can't seem to find the words nor questions to ask. Today's guest, Ayana Bass from Houston, Texas, and Millicent Kogonga from Nairobi City, Kenya, shared their story on how they not only regained their voice, but how they empowered their voice to affect change. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have Ayana Bass here from Houston, Texas. Welcome to the show, Ayana. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. It's I know it's an early morning for both of us today, right? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, I know. So thank you so much again for being on the show. And I wanted to, you know, why don't we start off kind of telling us about your story, you know, your cancer story, how you were diagnosed, what treatments you had, and kind of just your experience with the whole thing. Um, well, I was diagnosed um, February 9th, 2021. Um Believe it or not, I felt like I was at the happiest point of my life. Mm-hmm. I was very active and working out, um, very motherly still to today, active with friends and family, no illness whatsoever, never felt sick. Wow. Um, I did go in for a routine pap smear. Uh-huh. The pap smear came back abnormal. Um, and my doctor advised me then. She was like, oh, we'll just, we'll wait to see what happens next year. And I was like, no, this just, you know, it just didn't feel right. Right. So I um I kept pushing, kept pushing, and finally got them to agree to doing a biopsy. And um actually when she did the biopsy, I knew then that it was it was cancer because she called in two more doctors just to look at me and say, Oh, well, we, we're gonna test you for cancer. And wow. I I called my mom as soon as I left the, the doctor's appointment and I told her, I said, This is gonna come back positive. And of course, you know, you get the oh, we're gonna be praying we're going to be positive but I, I I knew I knew and three days later I got the call that it was indeed cervical cancer oh wow so how did that moment feel I mean because I know we don't want to think it's cancer right everyone all the doctors mm-hmm. every time you get you know go for tests or biopsy you're like you know you know let's be positive we don't know what the results are but how did you feel at that moment um honestly I felt alone I think it was the dynamic of the phone call because it was so rushed and I was at home. This was, you know, right after the pandemic. So my kids were home doing school and I was working from home that day, actually. And I just, I dropped everything and I left the house. Like I, I, I remember leaving the house and going around the corner just to let out a scream, but I didn't know who to call. I didn't know, you know, who to turn to. So at that moment, the fear kicked in and just feeling abandoned almost because I guess it's it's the way that the phone call went. Like there was no compassion, no, oh, do you have any questions? It was just like, okay, well, no, you have cervical cancer and expect some more phone calls after this one. And that was it. So I just, I felt alone, really uh, alone. Yeah, that's horrible. I mean, I know, I, I mean, did you... 
I can't even imagine how alone that must feel. Cause I, I, I remember the same thing. I think they told me when I was in my car on the way to class mm-hmm. and it was just like, you were physically alone. I was physically alone, but I mean, you're right. You know, just that phone call, it's just kind of cold and, and you, you weren't able to ask any questions, right. At the time you're no just question. like shock. Right. Oh, I'm so sorry. So uh, fast forward a little bit, you know, what, uh, what treatments did you have? You know, did you, how did you tell your family? Um, I actually told, I only told my mom and um, I allowed my mom to tell, I have two sisters. I allowed my mom to tell my sisters and my dad. Um, and I, um, I told my best friend, I told my best friend shortly after I was diagnosed. Um, and two other friends that I'm really close to, I actually told them face to face. After that, I didn't tell anybody else because at that point I was tired of saying it. I, I didn't know how to continue to form the words and to hear what people were saying. So I kind of blocked it out. Uh-huh. And my mother is the one that that pretty much told my family. Yeah, but I did um, I did come out about it on Facebook shortly before I started treatment because I felt like at that point I needed all the prayers and positivity that I could stand because at that point my mind started becoming very negative and I knew that I needed to be more positive to get through it. So I had to be open at that point. So I did make a post on Facebook um, and at that time my hashtag was faith over fear. So mm-hmm. I had to lean more on my faith than worry about being afraid. But the treatment that I received, I did um, 25 external radiation, um, four chemo sessions, and three brachytherapy. Oh, my goodness. In the span of how many months, weeks? Uh, altogether, it was six weeks. Six weeks. Wow. Six weeks. Mm-hmm. All of that treatment yeah. in six weeks. Yes. Oh. And you you would, you know, people, oh, your treatment is moving so fast. You'll be, it feels like a lifetime. <laughs> right, right. It, no. it, you know, what they feel and what they see, you know, and I, I didn't, my thing was, I never wanted to be a burden to my family or friends. So mm-hmm. I didn't allow anybody to go with me to my treatments. I let my mom go to my first chemo treatment and it was only because I wanted her to feel more comfortable with what I was dealing with, but I just, I forced myself to drive myself. My dad, honestly, when he took me um, to my first couple of radiation treatments, Mm -hmm. but he's retired and, you know, so I wanted him to still have his time. So, you know, I played it off, but it it was hard. It it was definitely hard, but I did it. (laughs) I had to do it. So I did it. Do you feel like it's, it's because, you know, you don't want to talk about it, you know, afterwards the treatments. Cause that's what I I've, I've experienced where people ask you questions afterwards and you're like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't want to talk about it. I just want to put it out of my mind and move away. Right. Yes. Just get away. I, I think I developed a very weird um, blocking me- mechanism because I just started really being more vocal about it here uh-huh. recently. Like I, I never wanted to talk about it. And even sometimes when I came back to work and, you know, because I, I didn't tell a lot of my coworkers, a lot of people didn't know. 
Um, so when they started finding out, they were like, oh, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And I, I would look at them like, why are you asking me how I'm feeling? Then it would click like, oh, Ayana, they're asking you because of what you just went through. But for a long time, I, I blocked it out. I, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about, you know, how I felt or any side effects. I just wanted to know that I, the, the disease was no longer there and uh -huh. I was still here. You know, I didn't want to discuss any side effects, anything. I like, I didn't, I didn't want to relive it basically. Right. And you just pushed through. Push through. Yes. I feel like that's, it's a common theme amongst women, right? I, we've heard that mm -hmm. amongst a lot of survivors, right? Where they're just, and I don't know if it's more of a female thing or a mother thing, but you just push through. You just mm -hmm. act like, you know, you act like nothing's going on and you go back, you cook dinner and you, you know, go grocery shopping and all that stuff. And people are like, you have cancer. You're like, and? Right. 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 So you have and the I, same And that's feeling. one thing for me, like I love to cook. I love to bake. I love spending time with my girls. So it was like, as soon as I had the strength, I was right back in the kitchen and people were like, oh no, you need to rest. No, I will rest after one, after I do what I know I can do. I'll rest later because I had to spend so much time not being that mother that I know that I am. Mm -hmm. and that was the most traumatizing part for me was not being able to, you know, play with my girls or my my oldest had just uh, gotten her first job and I couldn't drop her off. I had to make sure Uber got her there. Like I had to make sure that I got myself back on track to being mom first. It's, it's so, I, I, I completely understand because you're just kind of, I do the same thing where it's just, and it's, it's, I think we, we, like we said, we heard it's a common theme amongst all of us where mm -hmm. we just power through and we think about everyone else, but not ourselves until there's that moment, right? Where you're like, wait, I have cancer. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have that moment where you're just like, like, you know, the whole world kind of stops for a minute and you're like, wait, I do have cancer. Honestly, it, 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 it hit me when it hit me, if that makes sense. When yeah. I could no longer do it, that's when it hit mm -hmm. me like, okay, Ayana, you have to listen to your body. You have to rest. If your body says sleep, girl, go to sleep you know, yeah. but it's just, I, I, I think I fought it for so long that it hit me so hard to where it almost crippled me because there was days, even my mom would say, you know, I thought I was gonna have to come in there and roll you over and check to see if you was breathing because it hit me so hard that my sleep would take me out for hours. Like I remember sleeping for days at a time oh. because it hit me so hard. Right. Cause your body's just like, I need to rest. I, I need, need to rest. rest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. ah. Because like, like, even on my chemo days, like I would again, drive myself and I knew that I really didn't have the strength, but again, you know, being bullheaded and I wanted to be a burden, I would struggle to get to the car and I would just sit there, honestly, cry it out and then pray. Sometimes even take a short nap, then I'll drive myself home. But it was so draining that I had to have that little bit of peace for that moment, mm -hmm. but I still never stopped. I never stopped going. So did you eventually, you know, did, did that exhaustion take over and finally you had to, or did you still, you know, through the whole treatment, drive yourself? No, it, I had to give in. <laughs> I had to give in. I had to, 
because my dad, he would, you know, he would call, you sure you don't need me to take you? You sure you don't know that I'm good? But it became to a point to where I had to one day call him in tears and say, dad, I need you. And of course he was there. No questions asked. Right. But, you know, it was just, they were basically waiting for me to give them the green light to help me basically. I think because they know you, right? They know their daughter and they're like, okay, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Eventually <laughs> she's gonna have she's gonna have to, but we're gonna give her that space that she needs, you know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, no, I I completely get it. I worked, I remember when they gave me the diagnosis, I worked all throughout college. And my 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 I remember my family telling my mom, you know, she has cancer, right? She goes, Yeah, mm-hmm. well, she's she's bullheaded, like you said, you know, and she won't stop. So right. I, I'm just going to let her go until she's collapses at this point, you know, which is mm-hmm. not good, but it's, it's such a, a, a theme that I see throughout a lot of women saying they just power through. Yeah. Oh. And it's also, I mean, kind, because do you think it's kind of, of way day, of winning? Do you think it's kind of way of winning? Like you feel like you're winning over it? I think so. I, I really do. I, because I, I had this mindset that this will not beat me. This will not take me down. This will not let me deter away from being who I know I am. Mm-hmm. And I really think that was it. But it's like once once your body just really, really starts fighting and fighting and fighting, you can't fight against your body. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I agree on that. Uh, okay, so let's so let's go back a little bit because I know you mentioned the way that you were told, right? You, it was, you said it was cold and it was it felt rush. You know, I, I don't know. I I think we all have different perspectives, experiences of how we're told. But you know, talk about you know just the experience you had. I wanted mm-hmm. to see your perspective as being an African American in this world. How treatment was? You know, how was there? you know, how you felt, you know, your experience with that treatment and diagnosis of cervical cancer? Um, I, I've honestly felt like had I not, had I not pushed for the biopsy, mm-hmm. I never would have been diagnosed because one thing for me, I'm very big on going to the doctor. If my toe hurts mm-hmm. too long, I'm going to the doctor. So I have never since the age of 16 missed a pap smear, not one year wow. have I missed. It wasn't until after I had my youngest daughter, my cycles began to be really, really heavy. And every year, every single year, I would mention this and I would get the craziest answers. Oh, it's because your your tubes are clamped. Oh, it's because you're overweight. Oh, it's because of this, it's because of that. But no one ever said, okay, let's dig deeper. And if it wasn't because of that abnormal pap for the first year, I still don't think I would have been diagnosed. So it's like, I, I don't think that, and you you read so many stories about minority women dying during uh, childbirth. It's like, when are we going to be heard? When are we going to be listened to the first time? When are you going to understand that we know our bodies more than you do? And you're only looking at us for five or 10 minutes. I know something's wrong. I knew something was wrong when I was having extremely heavy cycles because I would honestly bleed through a 12 hour pad in two hours. Wow. I knew something was wrong and they never listened to me. And again, I never missed a pap smear. So why did, this was a question that me and my mother had, like why did it go undetected for me to then be diagnosed at stage three? 
Right, right. Because I mean, you brought it up and you know your body, like you said, and Mm -hmm. this dismissive feeling of it's weird because it's just like, you know, yes, I don't have a medical degree, but I know my body. Like I I know know my cycles every Mm -hmm. month. I know how heavy they are. And you still were dismissed. Completely dismissed for years. Uh, My daughter, my youngest daughter, she will be nine this year. And I have been complaining since she was at least two years old. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that was at that time, at least four years of complaining before anything happened. Now I can say when it came to my treatment, um, I loved my team, still love my doctors to this day. I think um, I was told that my brachy doctor is actually the top brachy doctor in Texas. Oh. Dr. Michelle Ludwig. Yes. She was uh-huh. amazing. And um like some of the stories I hear about the the trauma uh-huh. from baby therapy, I never experienced that ever. And it's weird because I tell people that was almost my favorite part of my treatment because that was the less painful. That was that's when I felt the most comfortable. And it's weird to say after hearing what all these other women dealt with and what they deal with even today after brachytherapy. So what do you think that your doctor did that was different then? She always made me feel comfortable. And she always mm-hmm. said, one thing that she would always say, even um, when she had a um, um, a partner of hers in there with her mm-hmm. learning, she said, the one thing that I'm going to make sure is that none of your organs get touched, your other organs get touched, and I'm going to make sure you don't have any complications. And she took her time and of course, you know, before your, your treatment, you Google everything and uh-huh. like, Google had me completely terrified of brachytherapy. And right. she told me, and she said, stay off the internet. I am not going to do to you what these other doctors have did to these women. I am the number one brachy doctor in Texas for a reason. Wow. And to this day, I, like, even when I go see her, she was like, girl, are you sure I even treated you? I'm like, yes, ma'am, <laughs> you did. But it's like, I, I have minimal issues like it's I I almost feel bad when I listen to the other ladies because I'm like I never knew that these were possible side effects until I listened to other ladies about brachytherapy had no clue because I I honestly suffer from none of them wow that's amazing I mean I'm I'm glad I'm so glad to hear that you didn't experience it but I feel it's almost like the trust, right? She, cause you know, your first, you know, experience with doctors in that sense, right? There was no trust, right? You, you, because they, they didn't take the time. They didn't, you know, talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. And then now this other doctor is like completely 360, right? She built that trust with you and you put yourself in her hands literally was like, okay, I trust you. Yep. And it's, it's crazy because <laughs> And if I can be completely honest, I did not trust it at first because um, she's deaf. She's completely deaf. Yeah. So she goes by nothing but reading your lips. And that frightened me to no end because I'm like, how can I express exactly how I'm feeling to someone that can't hear me? That was my main concern. And now that I think about it, she heard me more than any other doctor. She heard me the most. 
and I have chills in my body right now because yeah. that just hit me like she really really heard me more than any other doctor that I have seen because like you said you felt dismissed on all your other doctors and this doctor maybe because of her inability to hear she sat there and listened to you right quote unquote listen to you mm-hmm. and every word you had to say you know so mm-hmm. that she could treat you mm-hmm. oh yep that is I mean I I'm, I'm so glad that you found her and how did you find her by chance? I mean, I'm I'm curious because that's the thing. It's right. This other question of access, you know, because you were fortunate to have to receive care from the top doctor mm-hmm. or a baby therapist in um, in Houston. But I mean, that's another thing about access to care, right? Like, mm-hmm. how did you end up? Was it just by sheer luck or did you research or how, how did you come about finding her? No, actually, my doctor um, with Texas Oncology, Dr. Uh-huh. Tong, she actually put my entire team together. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so what yeah, did this I, team, I, what was this team made up of? I had Dr. Tong. She's at Texas Oncology. Okay. Um, I am now under Dr. Bopity with Kelsey. And then I had Dr. Ludwig, and she's with Baylor Medicine. Okay. Yeah, wow. she... He put the entire, I, I did nothing but show up to appointments. It's like a dream <laughs> um, team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I can honestly say I had a very good team of doctors to take care of me. That's the one thing. I think it's, it, I'm, I'm so sad to hear that you had that initial experience, you know, with your diagnosis, but then to have this beautiful dream team, you know, that mm-hmm. has taken care of you, got you through the worst of it right? And yes. now you're on the other side, I think mm-hmm. is just, just great to hear. And I'm so glad that you were able to receive the treatment that you needed without the negative side effects that other people have received in the mm-hmm. past. Wow. That is, that is, I'm, it's, I, I, I still, I'm still getting the chills from when you said, you know, she was able to finally listen to you, you know, cause mm-hmm. I, I bet that was just a relief, right? Oh yeah. It, yes major relief oh. major relief it is honestly I have chills now too because I never thought of it that way but she she really really honestly she got me through it even yeah. even in her initial um appointment before we began treatment you know she even told me because she she's very very funny and down earth. she was like oh girl you know, your tumor is one of the smallest I've seen. I've knocked out stuff bigger than this. You're going to be fine. <laughs> and like, she she has like this little Southern twang about her and she's, really? you know, she, oh yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. So I would encourage anybody listening, if you are in the Texas area and you have to deal with this, look up Dr. Michelle Ludwig. Like she is the best of the best. Oh, wow. Well, that's great. I mean, as long as it's coming for a recommendation from you, I think, you know, she might be getting a a few more patients now. (laughs) So let's jump a little bit here. I'm wondering about, you know, there's such, there's a lot of talk right now, and we've seen the studies in, you know, in, in various workshops that we've been in together, that there's a rise in cervical cancer amongst Mm -hmm. um, African-Americans. Now, I just, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. You know, what, what do you think is, 
you know, stopping those from getting screened or, you know, receiving this, the, the vaccine or just talking, right? Because at the beginning, you mentioned just, you just didn't want to talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not, it's not. What do you think it is? I think in our culture, it's just, it's not talked about enough. Right. You know, just the other day I was, I was having my TikTok time (laughs) that I call it. And I came across a young girl who posted about her mother that at the age of 38 was diagnosed at stage four and she was gone a year later. Uh-huh. And just like, just like myself, her, she said her mother was at the happiest point of her life. And I think it's because in our culture, everything is brushed under the rug. It's uh-huh. not really discussed. So, you know, even with me, the HPV vaccine came out shortly after I turned maybe 16 or 17. Uh-huh. I remember my doctor asking my mom if she wanted to get me and my older sister vaccinated. And because it was so new, she said no. Now, here I am with my own daughters, one that's 19 and one that's eight, soon to be nine. Uh-huh. My oldest daughter, I had no questions about it. Yes, please. And, and the crazy thing is me and my daughters have the same pediatrician. <laughs> She's still in practice to this oh, day. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So when when she recommended it for my oldest daughter, absolutely, please, yes. You know, but I think especially in my age group, it was so new mm-hmm. and not discussed um, that parents were like, no, I don't I don't think this is this is something that we need to do at this time. Because then too, you don't want to think that your 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 kids are having sex. Right. You know, right. You, that and it's it's like when are we going to stop putting caps on issues that really need to be discussed? Right. So for me, um, I have freedom hour with my girls. They can Uh talk about anything they want to talk about. They can say it however they want to say it. They can tell me anything that's on their mind because I need, I feel like I need to have that open dialect with them to be sure of anything. Not only freedom hour. Freedom Hour. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have Freedom Hour. Yes. Sometimes it gets a little crazy, but <laughs> <laughs> but I have to. I I think that I for me I have to allow them to be them. Like I have to allow them to have me as a safe space, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And a lot of people in my culture, we don't have that safe space because you're scared to talk about it. You cannot be scared to talk about things. Uh-huh. whatever it is you have to be open about it so I also have a nephew um him and my daughter are, my youngest daughter are actually 10 days apart they're our little unofficial twins as we call them I'm talking to his mom about getting him vaccinated because he'll be nine in September also so I think for me it's like being more open and talking about things is is helping is even if I can just help my two little ones right. it's helping somebody no, I think that's great. I think it's great to give them that voice, you know, because mm-hmm. like you said at the beginning, you felt like you didn't have a voice, you were dismissed. And mm-hmm. and you said, you know, that by allowing them to have a voice is kind of changing that that rhetoric, right? Changing yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So that way we feel like we have you got you you have a voice to say and speak up for yourself. 
Okay. Thanks, Ayana. I appreciate that. I think it's great that you're giving the kids a voice, the new generation and changing this, this openness, right. To be able to advocate for yourself as you did, you know, when you first were diagnosed or when you, before you were diagnosed and then giving, you know, this next generation a chance to speak up. Right. right. I think that is important and changing mm-hmm. that part of it and addressing what we feel might be an issue. You know, like you said, mm-hmm. it, it culturally, that might be the issue, right? Right. Okay, so we also have um, Millicent Kagonga from Nairobi City, Kenya, here joining us. We're so excited to have you, Millicent. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Thank oh, you perfect. For How are you doing this <laughs> afternoon? I'm doing good. It is in the evening in Kenya. Evening. Yes. Our listeners, she's in Kenya. So evening there, since it's only morning for Ayana and myself, but thank you for joining us in the evening. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Checking it one day at a time. And I'm happy for for this opportunity. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Perfect. Well, you know, um, we started with uh, Ayana telling her story about how she was diagnosed and her mm-hmm. treatment. So could you go through, you know, how you were first diagnosed in your treatment with cervical cancer? Wow. For me, uh, I wish I normally say that I wish I could have been gone to the hospital at early when I started seeing the symptoms. So uh, I went to the hospital when I have had symptoms for almost five years. And for the purpose of other ladies and young children outside there, uh-huh. because I am the I'm the HPV vaccine ambassador and I know there is a lot of high risk for women to get cervical cancer. I got my first born at the age of 14 years, and then oh. I got my third born for the age of 20 years. And um, that, is me, that is some of the, the high risk of a lady getting cervical cancer, I know. And um, I, I had the, the, the abnormal discharge. I started having the abnormal discharge at, uh, at the age of 20 years, and then I kept quiet. I kept it for myself because in my community where I used to live, nobody was allowed to talk anything below the belt. So oh. I tried to share with some of the women, but it was indirect. And those women told me that uh, because I, uh, I, I just I, I asked them, I have a friend who has been having these symptoms, having these abnormal discharge, and the women were ready to tell me that is a curse. That is a kind of from God. That is a witchcraft. And tell that lady to pray hard so that uh, the, the bad woman can get out of that lady. So uh, because of that, I kept quiet for almost five years until mm-hmm. I saw someone talking about these things. Wow. So, at, yes. you know, I, uh, you know, Ayana also mentioned the same thing that it just felt like they don't talk about things. So you know, like you mentioned earlier, they don't talk anything below the belt, right? Yes. Talking things up below the belts. It's like, ah, uh, no, 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 no. I oh need to keep goodness. this for myself. And so did, when you, when you were first diagnosed with cervical cancer, how, wh- what was that like? Did you get like a phone call? Did you, the doctor tell you face to face? How was that? 
things here in Kenya, they're a bit different. Uh-huh. There's no like no time of counseling. There's no time of uh, maybe go, we'll call you later. Even if you have done the, the test, you'll go get the test yourself. And there and there, the doctor will tell you now, you have cervical cancer. We need we need to remove the uterus. We need to you need to do the chemotherapy. I feel sometimes it's a lot because for me, when I was uh, diagnosed, uh, I was told like you have cervical cancer, and then the first question was, will I be able to get another child? Because uh, for me, uh, it was I must replace. Uh, okay, I lost my daughter at the age of four years. That was the oh. second born. I had three children Sorry. and. Uh, 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 one of them died. So I wanted to replace that daughter, that child. So the first question was, will I be able to get another child? Uh-huh. And the nurse, uh, the, the nurses told me, no, it won't be possible because uh, you have now cancer and it is, uh, it is at advanced stage. So you will just go and do the treatment. I felt like, yeah, yes, I had, I had uh, two children already, but uh-huh. I wanted to replace that, that child, you know. So uh, that is it. It was like you have cancer and you need, uh, maybe we will remove your uterus or uh, maybe not. And you will continue, you will do the treatment. You will uh, you'll face the chemotherapy, you will face the radiotherapy. And that was uh, the first time I was hearing these things in my years. Yes, I had about cancer, but it was, uh, if I had cancer, cancer is for, from my neighbor. So um, for us here in Kenya, mostly we believe that cancer is only for the, rich people, not for us who are struggling. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but now, uh, I was told I have cancer. It was like a death sentence to me. Oh my goodness. And and so did you have chemotherapy and surgery or just surgery? Before before I do chemotherapy, okay. I went under I went underground two years. Okay. Because I was diagnosed in twenty fifteen, but I did my treatment in twenty seventeen. And uh, I went underground 20 years. I was just trying to, to look for myself and uh, having these a lot of suicidal thoughts. And um, the, at the doctor's office, I was told that uh, I need to do like uh, six cycles of chemotherapy, 25 cycles of radiotherapy, and three cycles of brachytherapy. And mm-hmm. here in Kenya, I was told that because my cancer was advanced, I cannot do the surgery. So I did not do the surgery. I still have my uterus like right now. But mm-hmm. is that uh, it's like you I'm working with a dead thing in my in my inside me. I don't uh, I haven't gotten any oncology that, or any gynecology that can explain to me why I'm, I still have my uterus and yet the uterus is not working. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my I goodness. still have it. And uh I've met with other ladies. Uh, if cancer is a bit advanced, there's no surgery that is done. You only do the chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and brachytherapy. And that is what I did. Wow. So did you when you know, did you have to travel far to, to get all the treatment, or was it in at least in Nairobi City? No, I you uh because of the I came to Nairobi. Uh, okay, I was living in Nairobi, but uh-huh. because of the problems, I went back to my village. But uh, by then, we had, we only had one uh, one facility that uh, it, I can afford. It was in Nairobi, so I had to travel uh, more than eight hours by bus to come to Nairobi to get the treatment. 
and I looked for a place to, to live and I got a house somewhere and uh, I started the treatment in Nairobi city. But now they have uh, improved. We have, uh, we have the treatment at our county level whereby if, even if you are in the province, you can drive maybe 40 minutes or 20 minutes to get the treatment. But for me, I travel eight hours, more than eight wow. hours to come for the treatment. So that was in 2017, where it was like an eight hour bus ride. Yes, eight hour, um, let us say just maybe nine, nine hours. Oh bus to, Yes. I can't even imagine being on a bus, one for nine hours, but two, as you're trying to get treatment, right? Like you're going to get treatment and all the things that are happening in your mind, right? Because mm, yeah. Ayana mentioned that she drove, you know, to her treatments. And so for, to, you know, and that must have been already hard, but to take a bus for nine hours to, to your treatments, that, that was very, probably very torturous. Yes, it is. And uh, until, until now, uh, mm -hmm. some, some people draw, draw, some people, okay, most of, most, uh, most of people who are coming to get their treatment here in Nairobi city, they don't have cars, so they are not driving. They are using buses to, to, uh -huh. come, to, to come to Nairobi city to get their treatment. So oh. that is our life. Wow. And so how are you doing now? Because I know that we're going to, we'll, we'll talk about your HPV um, ambassadorship, but I, I want to know how are you doing now? Wow, I'm taking it one day at a time. Just okay. uh, last year, I was I got the reoccurrence, and uh, I'm just taking it one day at a, at a time. Sometimes I reach to a, uh, to a point where I just ignore uh, about the the nutrition because I'm the the treatment I'm getting. I think it has a lot uh, a lot. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I have just forgot that treatment, but I'm getting big. Where each time I go for the treatment, I'm big. I'm bigger than last year. My weight is adding like now and then. Though I'm a big person, but not the way I am right now. And mm -hmm. um, I, I've just decided to tell myself, as long as I can wake up and go to the toilet and, and eat, that's enough for me. Because I've been wanting uh, every time when I go to the hospital, the oncology to tell me you are now cancer free. But after the oncology can tell me like today you are cancer free after two, three months, uh, uh, when I go for my MRI, when I go for my CT scans, the, the oncology will tell me I can see something. I can see something. You need to go back for the chemotherapy. So now what is in my mind is just, just to take one day at a time and to make sure Nobody, um, nobody that uh, I will, I will be in contact with mostly women. They mm -hmm. won't go through what I'm going through. So it's just one day at a time. I I applaud it. I mean, I think what you're doing there is just the work that you're doing there is just tremendous for women. And you said, you know, you take it one day at a time, but you know, you you've been so. I mean, dedicated to the work that you've been doing in Kenya. Um, Talk to us about your ambassadorship that you you you're at in Kenya that you're doing in Kenya with the HPV vaccine. Wow. Like uh, what I said, what I what I went through or what I'm still going through, it's uh it's hectic, it's terrible, it's mm -hmm. bad, and uh, 
I felt very bad because I have a daughter mm-hmm. and uh, she, she was my third born. After my second born who died, I got my third born. And um, uh, that daughter, I never wanted her to go through what I'm going through. So I heard uh, in, the, in, the, in our Kenyan news that uh, they are going to have this uh, HPV vaccine to be introduced in Kenya. We had the vaccine, but only, uh, it was for only those who can afford it. It was like um, $30 per dose or maybe even $60 per dose. And for me, I wouldn't, I wasn't able to afford because I was on treatment and even affording the, the treatment, it's a, sometimes a challenge. So right. I told myself, our government is going to introduce this uh, free vaccine. My daughter is going to be the first one. And uh, I'm glad my prayer was answered. My mm-hmm. daughter was the first to be vaccinated and I was like, ah, I'm a happy wow. mother. Now my daughter is safe. She's safe from getting this HPV and going through cervical cancer, what I'm going through. And um, she got the first dose here in Kenya. We are, our girls are being given two doses, one at, uh, after the first dose, and then you'll get the second dose after six months. So uh-huh. after six months, and I was there at, uh, after six months, it was the, the year of Corona in 2020, we had mm-hmm. this COVID. And uh, despite the challenge i went to the facility even the nurses were telling me like uh, now we are focusing on covid and uh, you we will take care of your daughter later i told the nurse you know what how many are dying of cervical cancer and how many are dying of covid i please allow me to call, to protect my daughter i just want to protect my daughter this now i know it is sure and it is safe and i don't want my daughter to go through this I want, I want the vaccine, the second dose. And she was able to get the second dose. Um, that's why I started to have in this voice because uh, most of the guardian and the parents and uh, even the church leaders were saying that uh, the vaccine is, uh, uh, our government is giving their girls the family planning. They won't be able to get their children. And um, there's a voice to tell them, look, uh, other countries have done it and they have mm-hmm. been able to children at young age at 10 to 14 years and also those children have have been able to give birth so we are not different from them let us just protect uh, protect our children because at my age at 34 years uh, i need to be maybe having more children but i can't have more children so are you waiting for your daughter to get at uh, the age of 20 and won't be able to get the child because of the the HPV vaccine, or you are able, you are ready to protect your daughter. Just wait and balance it. Don't wait wow. for this, uh, for the sickness. So that is the information. And each time I go to the schools, I go to the churches, I go to the meetings, I, I, got, I, I go to everywhere in the crowd to tell them the importance of the HPV vaccine. And it happens that I have these photos that I took, one of the mm-hmm. photos that I took when I was uh, at the, at the hospital. I show them, I tell them, this is me. At, the, at this age, I was battling cancer. Why do you want your daughter to go through the same? Why do you want your daughter to go through what me, myself, I wouldn't love even my worst enemy to go through it. So please let us protect our daughters. And it is working. Good. I mean, wow, you are you are a force to be working with. I mean, I wouldn't mess with you if I would. If I was a doctor, I'd be like, "Yep, line them up. Let's 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 get every shot in every kid's arm." 
<laughs> yes, yes, it is working. It is really Good. working and we are almost getting the target. And uh, even uh, if I can give you a uh, some of, uh, a small piece of the story. I went yeah. to some of the schools. The nurses went there and they were giving the vaccine to the 10, 10 to 14 year old girls, but they mm -hmm. refused. They refused to get the vaccine. They were telling the, the nurses that they don't remember their birthday and uh, their mother. Like they are giving a lot of stories. I went there the next day with the same nurses and I told them the importance of the vaccine. And I asked some of the children, how, how many of you knows me? And uh, some of the girls raised their hands and they said, yes, we know you. We saw you on television. Your daughter was being injected. I told you, do you know that what was the reason of that injection? They said, no, I was able to explain to them. And all of a, uh, all of a sudden, everyone just remembered their birthday. Wow. And so, so did the, the eventually the girls get the shots? Yes, they did. Good. Because now they said, um, I, want, I want to get this because I don't want to go through what Millicent went through. Yes. Yes. No, I, I, I mean, that is that I mean, using your story like you have to change people's minds is important. And that's what, why we share our story, why we're here today, you know, to make sure I think both you and Ayana, I think, you know, are changing the generation's thought, you know, how we think about this, you know, because like Ayana is making sure that, you know, we have a voice, right? Our children have a voice. And so that way they can advocate for themselves. And Millicent, you're sharing your story so that others don't have to go through this. I think you both have, are changing the future. And now Millicent, you know, I'm wondering, you're just in Kenya. Are, are, are you should, you should try to, you know, market yourself to, you know, go around Africa and just be like, look, we're going to give everyone a shot right every <laughs> shot yes uh um the challenge is that maybe some uh if i want to go to my neighbors uh they need to maybe to invite me or maybe i go with uh, through my government but i'm trying my best to reach out to them uh, mm -hmm. last year i got i got the opportunity to attend the African HPV forum that was happened in Rwanda and oh I passed my voice like never before because <laughs> we need we need to protect our daughters yeah. and I'm glad Rwanda is uh, is um Rwanda is uh, is uh, at the line of elimination they have they have already vaccinated their daughters and they are at uh, at the front line in Kenya because of their voice wow you're, and I'm, I'm telling you, both of your voices are just so powerful. I mean, I, I am so inspired by both of you and your stories. And I hope others listening will have, will, will feel that same inspiration, you know, just, just be able to give a voice and give a voice to yourself, right? I think both of you guys have now given a voice to yourself and now passing on that voice to others. And I think it's, just a remarkable thing that you both are doing. And I thank you so much um, for being here on this, on this episode today um, to, you know, one, just to be here to share your story and two, to give us some insights onto what we can start doing together, right. And gaining our voice back. So 
I want to thank both of you so very much for being here. And Millicent, I am so grateful to, for you to be here all the way from Kenya and same thing, Ayana, from Houston. Um, so thank you, ladies, for both for being here today. Thank you for having me, Jocelyn. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Millicent. Thank you. Remember, don't ever forget your voice is powerful. It can change minds, inspire movements, and give hope to others. If you want to read more about Ayana or Millicent's story or hundreds of other women, or if you're ready for your voice to be heard, log on to survivor.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.